Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number one of Revelation chapter 14. As we continue verse by verse through the book of Revelation, we've now entered into chapter 14. And we'll find, as we go through this chapter, that it primarily focuses on Judgment Day. Once we get a few verses into it, but it begins with a scene of the Lord Jesus Christ upon Mount Sion. In Revelation 14, verse 1, it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And this image that God is giving us is some time before Judgment Day, because the 144,000 identify with the church age. But let's take a look at this. When the Lord gives the Apostle John this vision, he looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion. Now, I know that practically all the listeners to e-Bible are aware that uh, Christ is typified as a lamb in the Bible, but we could have some new listeners or some people that maybe are not uh, too familiar with that. And, and so it's always good for them and for us because the Bible speaks of being brought into remembrance of things even though you know them. The Lord tells us in uh, either First or Second Peter, um, sometimes I get things mixed up between uh, books when we have First or Second Timothy or First or Second Thessalonians or First and Second Peter, but it's in one of those books, and it's good, in other words, for us to go over familiar things, things that we know, and and one thing is that Jesus is portrayed in the Bible as a lamb. We read in John chapter 1. In John 1, it says in verse 29, the next day, John, this would be John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And also, in verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. No doubt, Jesus is the one identified. He is the one called the Lamb of God. And the Lamb uh, is a name given to him because he is the sacrifice. He is the offering for sin that, that God has provided for his people. Just as the Lord uh, pictured the work of Christ, his, his atonement from the foundation of the world, by having Israel in in the laws that he gave them work out or uh, demonstrate that atoning work of the Lord again from the foundation of the world through their sacrificial system. 
And so many animals were sacrificed again and again and again. Tens of thousands of animals, many lambs were slain. And and every one of them was a, a picture. It was a type and a figure. It was a demonstration of what Christ had done from the foundation of the world, of what he would do in time, as John chapter 1 is referring to the Lord Jesus as he entered into human history in the first century A.D. Uh, for the three and a half year period of his ministry, and when he would finally go to the cross and making manifest the things that he had done before this world was created. So all these um, things, uh, uh, all of the laws that God gave concerning the sacrifice of of all animals, but especially the lamb, is pointing to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the lamb of God. The, the definite article is used. He's not a lamb or or one of several. He is the Lamb of God. Well, uh, the Lamb is seen here on Mount Sion, and and with him the 144,000. Now, why is Christ seen on Mount Sion? Well, Sion, or Zion, as it's also written in, in the Bible, is a very interesting name that that God uh, refers to the people of Jerusalem or the Jews or his elect people can be represented by Mount Sion. Uh, And there are many verses in the Psalms where Sion is mentioned. And so we're going to take a look at several of them. Let's begin in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now that's, that's exactly the situation in Revelation 14 verse 1. The lamb stood on Mount Zion and, and the lamb is Christ and Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. So he is the king on Mount Zion and that's what God says. I have set my king Upon my holy hill of Zion, I will declare the decree. Jehovah has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So there is a tie-in there between Christ, uh, the, the king, who is upon Mount Zion, and, and the fact that he is the son of God. Now, how did Jesus become the son according to the Bible? He was declared to be the Son via the resurrection from the dead, according to Romans chapter 1 in the first few verses. He he rose from the dead, and in that way he was declared to be the Son of God. Why would the rising from the dead cause God uh, to make him or declare him to be the Son of God? Because he's the first begotten of the dead, the Bible tells us. He is um, the first to come from the dead to life. And he died for the sins of his people from the foundation of the world. 
and he paid that penalty in full, the death equivalent, to satisfy the law's demands for all of God's elect. And then once it was paid completely, Christ rose from the dead, and and when he came to life, he was declared to be the Son, the first begotten, not not as though he did not exist and now exists um, as as people are born into the world. We didn't exist previously. We're born. We become someone's son if we're a male, and and we begin our existence. No, God doesn't mean that. Christ is declared to be the son because he's the first born from the dead. And uh, he was always God, the Lord Jesus. Um, the word, according to John 1, 1, remember, tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the word, the Lord Jesus has always been from eternity past. There's been the triune God, but he took upon himself the name of son and that shouldn't be too shocking to us. The Bible assigns Christ many names, and and the names of God reveal some attribute or characteristic or something, some truth about him. And the Son, the name of the Son of God, reveals the fact that he is the first born from the dead. And, of course, it's significant that the Bible tells us the Son created the world in Hebrews chapter 1. And that's significant because that that is proof positive that Jesus first had to die and be raised from the dead in order to be called the Son who would create the world. He couldn't be the Son if he had not already come alive from the dead. And and so uh, people who insist stubbornly, uh, they they insist against the word of God, against the scriptures. They're arguing with what the Bible says, but they stubbornly persist, and and they they won't let go. Oh no, thirty three A.D. thirty three A.D. is when Christ died, and yet the Bible is clear that uh, he died from the foundation of the world. And and uh, remember in Revelation 13, in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. There is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And at what point? were the sins of the world, that is, he is the only Savior, the only one who does take away sins, and he took away the sins of all of his elect by paying for them from the foundation of the world. Uh, I didn't make it up. It's what the Bible says. That's the point of Christ, the Lamb of God, being slain. It, It didn't say from 33 AD or from uh, the first century or God could have worded that uh, to very clearly indicate, oh, it was during 
his lifetime when Jesus entered into the world. That's when the lamb was slain. But he didn't do that. God said it was from the foundation of the world. And he he says that again for the excellent reason that it's the truth. And and now we have this statement and there's there's others that say Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. We put that together with the fact that he is declared to be the son through the resurrection of the dead. And the Bible is clear that Jesus, as the son, spoke to create the world. So there's two very big pieces of evidence that he had died and risen already before the world began. And there's other verses. It's locked in. It's locked in. And there's no question about it. Uh, People are uh, backpedaling on this doctrine as well as many doctrines today. They're they're going backwards about as fast as you can in spiritual matters. They're they're going back on the biblical calendar of history, and they're going back on the doctrine of knowing the day or hour. They're they're now in agreement. Many are with the churches on that that point of doctrine, and now uh, some who were previously faithful, a previously faithful ministry, has has just come out and said, well, you know, it's not all that important uh, as far as the doctrine of the end of the church age. What's important is salvation. Now, that's about as unwise of a statement as anybody could make. It's not important that God separates the wheat from the tares. It's not important that God says that there's death in the pot uh, concerning the gospels and the churches and congregations of the world, or that the beast was given rule over the churches during the great tribulation period, or that the Holy Spirit came out of the midst. Oh, that's not important. But what's important is salvation. Well, isn't it important that there is no salvation in the churches? And if people are there, wouldn't it carry some importance to let it be known, well, you know, you're in a situation where God did not save during the Great Tribulation period. It, it, it's really extremely, extremely unwise. I, I could hardly believe that uh, a once faithful ministry would say such a thing. And it's almost like saying, well, it's not important that people speak in tongues. It, oh, that's not important. What's important is salvation. Well, what about people who speak in tongues? They've added to the word of God. And God says the plagues written herein in the scripture will be added to them. Isn't that important? You know, doctrine is important. Doctrine is extremely important. We, we can't try to, to skirt around things. We, we can't try to please everybody by saying this isn't important because we know there's a lot of controversy over the subject. So we don't want to talk about it. That, that's basically all that statement is, is saying we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to offend either group A or group B. If we say one thing, we know 
Many others hold to the other point. So it's a very um, wishy-washy type of thing to say doctrine is not important, but what is important is salvation. Well, here here is how God uh, considers doctrine, or how important he considers it. In Titus chapter 1, it says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. See, it's sound doctrine that that is a means that God uses to exhort and convince. What was so wonderful about the Open Forum program on Family Radio was that there was much sound doctrine. People called in about all these unimportant details, such as the end of the church age. And, uh, well, if that's not important, then I suppose a marriage and divorce isn't important. Or I suppose that a, a woman speaking isn't important. Or, as I mentioned before, speaking in tongues isn't important. No, the only important thing is salvation. Can you imagine a program where people call in and they have a Bible question and it's uh, it's a touchy matter. So, oh, that's not important. What's important is salvation. Next caller, please. And again, uh, uh, another delicate subject. Well, we really don't want to get into that area. That's not important. Let's go to our next caller and please let's discuss salvation. Well, doctrine is salvation. Doctrine is that subject of the teaching of the Bible. And God reveals right doctrine. When we abide in the doctrine of Christ, we're, we're abiding in his salvation. It, it, it is just horrible. It, it's terrible. I, I really can't get over how foolish it is to say that the subject of the end of the church age is not important. It, it is extremely important. I wouldn't dare say any doctrine of the Bible is not important. What a way for the enemy to gain the upper hand in a matter. And all all the enemy tries to do is to get the edge of the wedge in the little crack and, and then bring home the hammer blow. And if we're not going to to discuss doctrine because it's not important, then, well, uh, there there is just um, no way that that we are bringing the gospel of the Bible. We're not bringing the truth of the Word of God without doctrine, and we're certainly not feeding God's people without doctrine. Doctrine is the teaching of the Scripture, and it it is the truth of the Word of God which the Lord's people feed upon. Well. Um, Let's go back to the Psalms, and we're looking at Mount Zion. Let's turn to Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse 35. It says, For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. And another Psalm, Psalm 74, Psalm 74 and verse 2. Remember thy congregation, 
which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. And that um, pretty much accurately defines Zion. The congregation, the, the purchase congregation, which God has redeemed. Mount Zion. Now, Zion, um, we would find, is similar to Jerusalem. That God can speak of Jerusalem and refer to his elect people. Remember, holy Jerusalem, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven in the book of Revelation when uh, the body of believers has been completely formed, all of God's elect have become saved, and then it comes down out of heaven. Well, God also can use Jerusalem in the corporate church sense of the way to picture the churches and congregations of the world that are not uh, true men. They're they're not truly saved. And it's similar with Zion. We We could find a verse or two where Zion is mentioned, and yet it would be more the corporate body that's in view than the eternal church of those that God has saved. Well, um, we'll continue looking at Zion, Lord willing, when we get together for our next Bible study. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.